Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Visit uh, lifeinnaples.net to find out more. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy. He is a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about social media and media uh, content modification. Big topic uh, during this election. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture and author of many books. His latest is How Everything Happened, Including Us. We'll be talking about his column, Biden Should Hope for a GOP Senate Georgia Win. What's that all about? We'll find out. It is November the 18th, and on this day in 1863, President Abraham Lincoln boarded a train for Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, to deliver a short speech in the dedication of a cemetery of soldiers killed in the battle there on July 1st to 3rd, 1863, the address Lincoln gave to Gettysburg became one of the most famous speeches in American history. Uh, Lincoln gave much thought to what he wanted to say at Gettysburg, but nearly missed his chance to say it. Shortly before the trip, Lincoln's son, Tad, became ill with a fever, and the president and his wife, Todd, Mary Todd Lincoln, were no strangers to juvenile illness. They had already lost two sons to disease. Prone to fits of hysteria, Mary Lincoln panicked when her husband prepared to leave. However, Lincoln felt the uh, opportunity to speak at Gettysburg and present his defense of the war was too important to miss, so he boarded the train and headed to Pennsylvania. Such an interesting story, isn't it? The backstory on uh, the private lives of presidents. When Lincoln arrived in Gettysburg, he was handed a telegram that lifted his spirits. Tad was feeling much better. Lincoln enjoyed an evening dinner and a serenade by the 5th New York Artillery Band before he retired to finalize his famous speech. The Gettysburg uh, battle was fought between July 1st and 3rd, 1863, as one of the bloodiest battles of the Civil War, with over 51,000 casualties. Uh, an amazing story. His speech, about two minutes, had followed the speech of a, another order that lasted two hours, but his speech ended up being one of the most famous in American history. Well, the Florida Department of Health reported 98 new cases of COVID-19 and one additional death yesterday. Uh, there were 61 patients in Collier County hospitals. Now, remember, this curve, uh, we just don't want to overwhelm the healthcare system, so that's the most important statistic. Uh, the news continues to uh, accentuate how important the number of new cases is, but that's not really the concern. There's not much to report, except I believe the epidemic of fear is greater and more contagious than the virus itself. To amplify the fear, the press is focusing on the number of cases. Elected officials like Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer are imposing draconian measures and mandates. Dr. Scott Atlas said it all Sunday night in his tweet, the only way this stops is if people rise up, you get what you accept, said Dr. Atlas, Scott Atlas, and that is so true. In other words, uh, if we allow, if we allow and consent and bow to the wishes of these elected officials, we'll all end up wearing masks for the rest of our lives. I genuinely believe that uh, uh, we need to uh, take control of our own lives and not let elected officials make these decisions, just my opinion. Well, from an email on yesterday's show, uh, I got this email. I'm disappointed to hear that you are pushing these conspiracy theories about the election you didn't mention that of the 24 lawsuits filed by the Trump campaign, all but six have been thrown out for lack of evidence. Also, one of the legal firms, which has been representing the president for several years, has withdrawn from any of these future election lawsuits. Uh, what's the down-ballot candidates and results? Should we throw the re Republican senators and uh, Republican congressmen and women out as one who, who won? Well, certainly that's not my intention, but I, obviously I haven't explained uh, our position well. The most important part of this, of course, is to preserve the integrity of our elections, and I think they've been severely compromised. There's several lawsuits pending about the process, but the most compelling and important evidence is about the system, systematic election fraud used by Dominion voting systems. 
uh, for example, uh, yesterday, here's what happened. Uh, the yesterday, two Republicans on the four Republican member canvassing board of Wayne County reversed course Tuesday night, voting to certify that the county's election results, after initially refusing to do so due to irregularities in polling books, mainly in the city of Detroit. So they caved. They caved in and uh, went ahead and, and uh, certified the votes. It turns out that there's evidence on Facebook that you can watch yourself that they were threatened. We know where your kids le- live, uh, what you did is horrible, and uh, you're going to pay a price for this. So, you know, these uh, uh, guys, these canvases uh, caved in. They, they went ahead and went along with the crowd just so they wouldn't. They were concerned about threats to their kids. This is how the politics are played. Uh, by the Democrat Party, unfortunately. Yesterday, the uh, DHS uh, cybersecurity chief, uh, President Trump, fired Christopher Krebs, who led the federal government's efforts to protect the U.S. election. The move came after Krebs' agency said the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. (laughs) Which is so unbelievable. Because uh, when you know about the evidence, Sidney Powell said on Newsmax, we are talking about millions of dollars Trillions of dollars, she said, of worldwide wealth here that's all corrupt. And every force in the world, except 80 million voters, we the people, my little team seem to be against us. Why did these attorneys quit? Well, they, you know, they said they get pressure from, from the public. Let me uh, play something for you. I, find, I found this uh, very interesting. Uh, this is Lynn Wood making comments about uh, what happened and what's going on right now. Now, Lynn Wood is... He's the uh, attorney for, uh, you may recall, the young man that uh, stood up. and was, He actually won the case, the, the American Indian. What's his name? I forgot. Doesn't matter. Let me play this uh, clip, just a one-minute clip here from uh, Lynn Wood, one of the attorneys, uh, lead attorneys representing uh, President Donald Trump. Change our government, but first we've got to have a special session of the Georgia legislature called so that they can elect the electors to vote for Donald Trump, who, by the way, won a landslide victory in Georgia, as he did across the nation. Then they're going to have to have a new election on all the down ballots in January because the whole process was infected by the uh, illegal absentee ballot procedure, and it was also infected with, I'll call it a computer virus. The computer voting system in Georgia, Dominion, contained software that was manipulated where they controlled the voting which in a network of corporations around the globe. This election was a fraud. Donald Trump won, I believe, clearly a 70% plus landslide election. He probably won over 400 electoral votes. So we're uncovering step by step the layers on the onion. We're going to get to the, to the truth. And the truth is, Donald Trump is, has been re-elected by this country to serve as president for four months. So there you have it from Lynn Wood. Uh, and that's, that's the big thing here. Well, there will be a number of suits. I'm sure that, uh, for example, we'll have uh, let the uh, activist judges who will turn down the cases, even though they have tremendous merit, but they'll be appealed. This process will take a little bit of time. But the big case, I believe, is going to be against this uh, software that uh, Dominion software uh, and uh, it, where all the corruption, they had the back door and had uh, changed the votes, millions of votes. Quite frankly, uh, this is, you just heard uh, the attorney Lynn Wood say so. So now what's going to happen? Well, this is going to go through the courts. I'd be very disappointed if, uh, for example, the Supreme Court turned down the case or heard the case, but just uh, didn't have, didn't put on their big boy pants and uh, make the right decision because clearly there has been fraud perpetrated. We need to protect the uh, this elect- electoral process. Uh, it is sanct- the, uh, there's there needs to be pre- protected from uh, this kind of corruption. So uh, we'll see how this all turns out and where it leads. But uh, it's a very very important issue, and it's not that turn- Donald Trump won't concede. It's that Donald Trump is trying to first of all have another term. He certainly deserves that if he won the the election by seventy percent. But he also uh, wants to preserve the electoral process, which has been corrupt by this Dominion software. Uh, finally, a cancer charity started by Joe Biden gave out no money into research and spent most of its contributions on staff salaries, federal filing show. The Biden Cancer Initiative was founded in 2017 by the 
Former Vice President and his wife, Jill Biden, to develop and drive implementation of solutions to accelerate progress in cancer prevention, detection, diagnosis, research, and care to reduce disparities in cancer outcomes, according to the IRS mission statement. But it gave out no grants in its first two years and spent millions of dollars of salaries on former Washington, D.C. aides that it hired. The corrupt, in my opinion, Joe Biden. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. Lifeinnaples.net is the website. Okay, coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy, chairman of the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, building a new performing arts center in downtown Naples. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and we focus on private property and free markets, securing individual liberty, and limited government. C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Cato dot org. Terrific organization. So, uh, Bob, uh, social media played such an important role in this election right now, and uh, it's certainly in the spotlight now. The couple CEOs were on the hot seat yesterday in front of a Senate uh, subcommittee. What's the gripe against social media from the left? Well, we have to go back to uh, 2016. Trump, of course, won the election, and the left lost, uh, and the losers explained that result by invoking the uh, superstition that ordinary folks like us are so ignorant and weak-willed and bamboozled by Facebook um, that we couldn't be trusted with the freedom to make up our own minds, and we were just slaves to 
what was coming across Twitter and Facebook. Mm-hmm. So on the left, I think the proponents of social media regulation seem to forget uh, that the regulator, if censorship had been implemented after that election, the regulator would have been the Trump administration, which would not have pleased the left. I, I suspect it would have been less concerned from the left about the impact of social media if Hillary had won. Uh, the anti-Trump critics of social media couldn't quite admit that uh, touched a nerve among millions of disaffected Americans who are not white supremacists or bigots or deplorables. That elections are always about relative rather than absolute preferences and the choice mm-hmm. in 2016 was a binary choice of Trump versus Hillary. Can't blame that one on social media. Yeah, but what, what's the gripe against social media from the right, in your opinion? Well, fast forward from 2016 to uh, the current, the latest election, and uh, it's not just the left that's upset. So you listen to Missouri uh, Republican Senator Josh Hawley, along with a lot of other so-called nationalist conservatives, they want to regulate social media to cure uh, what they consider to be an anti-conservative bias that's centered in uh, Silicon Valley. So, you know, it's one thing to suggest that Facebook should be more discriminating in screening what they post. It's quite another to argue, as many on both the left and the and the right have argued, that government should regulate social media to determine what passes muster for for us uh, gullible, unworldly uh, greenhorns to to be able to look at. So uh, this this whole thing goes back to the Communications Decency Act in Section 230, which I think was invoked in 1996, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us about that and and its importance. Well, it provides websites like uh, like Facebook with both a sword and a shield. Uh, the shield the shield is that um, the act says no website shall be treated as the publisher of any information posted by another information content provider. Mm-hmm. So, again, the act is distinguishing between the publisher, and, like, for example, the New York Times, uh, and, the, and the platform, like Facebook, which is simply a vehicle by which other people publish their uh, content. And, in fact, actually, even within, like, the New York Times, the New York Times would be, would be protected uh, regarding comments by people that respond on their website to articles that are uh, that are in the New York Times, mm-hmm. but the New York Times wouldn't be protected uh, by uh, stuff that they publish on their own. So that was the shield. And then the sword is that no website, and again, this is the language from the Act, shall be held liable for restricting access to material that the website considers to be obscene or excessively violent or harassing or otherwise objectionable. And that applies whether or not the material is constitutionally protected. So basically that means Facebook has the, the, uh, the statutory right to, uh, to, pub, to, to put on their platform whatever they choose. The censure, in a, in a sense. So we have a new uh, fairness doctrine to replace uh, Section 230. Would that be the answer? Well, the... Fifty years ago, the Fairness Doctrine required broadcasters to present contrasting views about controversial issues so that you'd get, you know, the various sides. Mm-hmm. And then there was a First Amendment case, Red Lion Broadcasting versus FCC, way back in the late 60s. Uh, and the Supremes upheld uh, the uh, FCC's authority under the Fairness Act. The reason they did so was because there was this scarce broadcast spectrum. Well, the, the scarcity problem has gone away. You know, we're down to our last 3,000 choices to watch <laughs> on, the, on either television or over the Internet. And, right. And so the FCC essentially eliminated uh, the, uh, that policy, the fairness doctrine. And the question now is whether companies like Facebook and Twitter have acquired um, sufficient monopoly power something like the three major networks had back when the Fairness Doctrine was in force, whether that monopoly power by Facebook and Twitter create the equivalent of scarce social media 
spectrum, just right. like there was broadcast media scarcity way back when. And if that's the case, then how do you reconcile the, a, a new fairness doctrine with uh, First Amendment implications? Well, just going back in the day, I mean, I recall uh, because of the fairness doctrine, all we heard was things like uh, Von, old Von Monroe records and things like that, <laughs> because the networks were just uh, very, very, uh, you know, their their uh, liability was huge if, in fact, they didn't present both sides barely, so they stayed away from issues pretty much all the time. So right. should, should we have another fairness doctrine? Well, you have to bear in mind that government uh, allocated broadcast spectrum back when we had the fair, fairness doctrine. Mm -hmm. It was limited spectrum, and they allocated it among very few uh, suppliers of services. Government doesn't allocate social media spectrum. Uh, if the social media companies do have monopoly power, it's because they've earned it, mm -hmm. and not because government gave it to them. Right. Uh, and the existence of these uh, of, of various social media alternatives uh, you know, Reddit has 430 million users and Discord a, a quarter of a billion users and LinkedIn has 700 million and Snapchat and on and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. So I think that diminishes this whole monopoly power argument. Uh, and if there's an insufficient amount of monopoly power, then this rationale about scarcity loses its force. Yeah. And the First Amendment, of course, gains force. And I would argue that there's very little case government limits on Facebook and, and Twitter. You know, I, and I agree with that. So what's the answer to content moderation by social media? Well, if Facebook, uh, which is a private company, wants to censor its postings, that's its business. And those persons who object to Facebook's policies should look elsewhere for their political wisdom. And a lot of folks are doing that. Yeah. The Internet notwithstanding uh, some legitimate apprehensions, has given us a multiplicity of choices. And I'm not at all convinced that Facebook, a few others, so dominate uh, political dialogue that it puts our democracy at risk. And not every problem, of course, has a very neat solution. Democracy, which relies on the wisdom of voters, mm -hmm. it, can be a, it can be a messy process. Yeah. And occasionally, occasionally there are malfunctions. You know? So I, I'm not sure what the answer is. Uh, Facebook needs to be more responsible. But I'm fairly certain what is not the answer, and that is to have a government-mandated uh, fairness doctrine or some other misconceived standard imposed on the social media. And the Supreme Court seems to agree with that. Back in 1974, the court wrote that government-enforced right of access inescapably dampens the vigor and limits the variety of public debate. Yeah. And I'd say amen to that. Yeah. So, you know, I, the, the point I would make is that this whole Section 230 I certainly has good intentions. Road to Hell is paved with good intentions. And uh, my, my suggestion is just get rid of the, the uh, Section 230. And if they have concerns, send it off to, uh, to law enforcement. <laughs> this is what's being published by this person. But, uh, you know, they, the, the, what they did during this election, in my opinion, just is totally embarrassing. And uh, there sh should be some sort of accountability. The best way to hold them accountable is to get rid of Section 230. Yeah, and, of course, the, the, the real way, the market solution for holding them accountable is if you don't like the fact that they've published what they have and have refrained from publishing certain things you think they should have published, the best solution is... Take your business elsewhere, and you know what? And again, Bob? you know a lot of folks. A lot of folks are doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're taking a look at Newsmax TV being overwhelmed with uh, news people who want to get on that, as opposed to, for example, Fox News. We're yeah. seeing a parlor. We're seeing a lot of. Our, I think you're absolutely right with allowing the free market to drive this. But I th just think no company should have the protection two thirty. It's just uh, it's just ill conceived, in my opinion. Bob, I, hey, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary in the show. I just refer our listeners to your website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Andy Joppa. See what his mood is now about the election. We're going to do that. And uh, what's happening in our civilization. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Thank you.
tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Offshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgrowing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. A little shout out to Lulubee's Diner there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job on breakfast and lunch. And in fact, they offer Uber Eats and takeout. So you can actually get that great food uh, and a takeout from Uber Eats. Uh, again, Lulubee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. Uh, coming up, we'll be visiting with Larry Bell and Dodd, professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Always look forward to your commentary on what's going on. What are your thoughts right now on this electoral process and the uh, claims made back and forth? Uh, <sighs> Biden saying, hey, I'm the president-elect. And, uh, I, I'm roughly speechless about what's going on, but of course I will find a few words to offer about this. But first, let, let me uh, let me ask you and Linda to come over to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. I'm having a small group of about 40 people, and I want you to know that the turkey will have a mask on. So I want you to know you'll be safe when you're over here, Bob. You know, I, I, I wonder, just... one of the comments I heard from, I think I saw this on Facebook, but somebody said they have... Uh, uh, a, a band-aid against groups larger than 10 unless it's a funeral then they're going to be 25 and so <laughs> i think it was i forget so, so, so he says well look i'm going to have a funeral for my pet turkey <laughs> <laughs> you know i, I heard I, I i don't know which state this referred to but apparently uh the uh, strip joints are able to stay open whereas the churches will have to close or go outside you know, there's something there's something intrinsically wrong with that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, to see in America where, in fact, uh, local people, local politicians are able to dictate uh, the number of people that can be at a family Thanksgiving is just, you know, it, it it's not a dramatic issue, but it, it reflects something that is is dramatic. This uh, this this overwhelming totalitarian control of every phase of American life, and I I think it's going to expand, obviously, if the Biden administration is ever seated. So. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not optimistic about what that will look like. I'm also not uh, optimistic after I, uh, I I noticed that Judy Shelton did not get confirmation for the Federal Reserve, uh, with two votes coming in, uh, nay votes coming in from uh, Mitt Romney and Susan Collins. I uh, there is still a chance she can get seated. I hope that's that still happens. Uh, but in the meantime, I think we're looking at even if Georgia 
the two seats or one seat goes Republican, the Senate seats, uh, I think we're still going to look at a, a Senate that may, in fact, have a voting majority uh, with with uh, Harris being the deciding vote uh, that will be um, Democrat. And I think that's that's unfortunate. And I think that will be to a large extent, at least uh, uh, on individual issues that will be Romney and um, and, and Susan Collins. So uh, that is a not particularly optimistic situation. So uh, that's that's where one more thing before I get into uh, other issues. But uh, our uh, sitting congressman, uh, Francis Rooney, yesterday called for the uh, the need for the president to concede this election to create national unity and a and a smooth transition. I, I think once again, Francis Rooney is demonstrating either he doesn't understand the problem that America is looking at or is, in fact, complicit in it. So yeah. um, I think we have to understand that although these calls for transition, uh, rapid transition and unity are, are just uh, absolutely absurd, that there is no chance that there'll be unity. Unless there is a deep, thorough, and complete investigation of the the obviously valid claims in many cases, if not all, of, of voter fraud that have taken place across America. And is it conspiratorial? I think merely by looking at the, the simultaneous shutdown of the voting count in the, in the battleground states, we can immediately presume a conspiratorial process. That yeah. validates it. Uh, if we look at the, the voting tallies, uh, there were, if we look at the uh, the increased number of votes, it was 23 million more votes cast. If we, if we allow for a five million normal increase, 18 million more votes were cast, Bob. Yeah. Uh, if in fact we we were told before the election that President Trump would increase his vote tally by 10 million, increase his votes with the blacks, Hispanics, and and the Jewish population. Yeah. Uh, if we were told that with a, a very vulnerable Senate year that we will probably hold the Senate. And it looks like we're going to pick up eight House seats. And then someone said that Trump lost that presidential election. Yeah. Almost a statistical impossibility, Bob. Absolutely. Well, my just, I just hope that, that I mean, these uh, lawsuits, uh, you can certainly expect, for example, that the uh, appellate court uh, t- in Michigan turned down the case. because you know, it's, They have activist judges. This will be appealed. will go through the process. My hope is not around these cases uh, and what's going to happen in Georgia and other places, but it's more on the national case, which I believe will end up in front of the Supreme Court, which is about this uh, Dominion voting system and uh, the back door and the opportunity that uh, someone has to come in and change the votes, number one, and number two, add additional votes to the process being used in Venezuela for the elections for Maduro and others, and now being used in the United States thanks uh, to... Uh, well, uh, I think it's used in 27 states now. Obvious, the obvious fraud here has to be addressed. My only hope is that the, the Supreme Court will put on their big pants, big boy pants and uh, address the issue. I think you're absolutely right, Bob. If, if we look at the way these votes are eventually tabulated in Germany, there's something intrinsically wrong with that happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a system, Dominion, that was uh, developed in Cuba, used in Venezuela, mm-hmm. uh, and has uh, been rejected by anyone who's truly surveyed the implications of it. It's its implication for the introduction of new software that will allow for everything that you just, just described and more. Um, I think the starting point of a discussion on, on this issue of fraud must start with the, the absolute truth that, of, co- of course, the Democrats if given the opportunity, would try to steal votes in this election. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we look at the past four years with President Trump and the impeachment process and the, the Mueller investigation, the lies and uh, scurrilous attacks on the president, for anyone to seriously doubt that they would take this moment of truth as they would see it and not do everything they could to manufacture votes uh, is, is absurd. So the starting point of a discussion in my mind, Bob, is Yes, of course they tried to do it. Then the question becomes one of how, and I think you've alluded to one of the hows, that's the Dominion software. And I think then there's two other things that must be considered. Can that be proved? And if it is, if it is proved that isn't enough, then somebody must, must act. Yeah. Uh, many people are citing the state legislatures and uh, uh, they would shut down the certification process. Uh, and of course, the, uh, the Supreme Court or any court that would be asked to act on this must act. Whether that will happen, um, I'm not optimistic about that. I don't think it's impossible, uh, but I think that um, I see it as a long shot at this point. Not that it shouldn't happen, 
but that's a long shot that it yeah. will happen. Bob. Well, uh, irrespective, I mean, the, the purpose here is obviously we'd, I would like to see President Trump serve another term, uh, but there's a process in place, and he is uh, using his rifle, his me- rifle me- methods in order to challenge this election. I think he should continue until the last, until the last opportunity is available. You know, if in fact he, if if all the wrong decisions are made, you know, then he's going to obviously step aside and uh, and uh, for Joe Biden. But here's the thing: Joe Biden didn't campaign. He didn't have a ground game in the campaign. I think the whole uh, the whole approach to this thing is: look, Trump's going to win this thing unless we cheat. How are we going to do it? And I think they used Dominion software and uh, the other methods to uh, to to get this victory. I mean, to, to build on what you just said, to believe that Joe Biden received about 18 million more votes than Hillary Clinton did in 2016 is, is just not believable to me. Right. Uh, as you indicated, he did not campaign. He had no personal popularity or very limited personal popularity. To believe he went up by 18 million votes is just a, a statistical anomaly that I think just re- reveals the fraud in itself. Yeah. If we look at a at a ninety percent voter turnout, for example, in uh, in Wisconsin and Minnesota, statistically impossible. Right. You know, it just it just did not happen. So there's so many of these statistical statistical anomalies, Bob. Uh, that and statistical anomalies are proof in some circumstances. If we were to look, for example, at Las Vegas and how they deal with their with their with their um, their twenty one table. You know, if somebody wins consistently over a period of time, that person is investigated because they know someone can't win statistically over time. Right. If if they win consistently at one table for a long period of time, they know that's a statistical anomaly that indicates fraud. Yeah. So I think we have comparable situations that would be uh, legally uh, able to define fraud merely by their existence without ever citing one particular ballot just the statistical analysis should do that yeah, well so my my concern is i think there's irrefutable proof that the the democrats cheated in this election in order to win the presidential election my only question is will the judicial process address this issue or will they just turn their cheek and you know say well uh, let's let's do better next time i'm hey andy i want to take a little break can you stick around i'll be here Bob. all right we're gonna have more here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now, we continue the conversation with Andy Joppa, professor and author of Josepha Savaz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Always good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So uh, right now we, we're kind of in limbo, just waiting for this process to play out. I'm sure our spirits can be dampened in the process. A lot of people who are, I think, probably not staying informed as they should are suggesting, look, let's just give up the ghost. Let's do better next time. Let's concede. What are your thoughts? Well, if I was sure there would be a next time, then I would you know, perhaps join that, 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 that choir, but I, I don't know if there'll be a next time. Uh, certainly, if there is a uh, loss of both seats in Georgia, which is, I think, not 
necessarily likely, but it certainly is at, at least a 50-50 toss-up as far as I'm concerned. Uh, there will be billions of dollars spent in Georgia for, for that uh, for that runoff election, the runoff elections in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is impossible for me to believe that the Democrats, being that close to the promised land, that that close to gaining total control of America, will not pull out every stop mm-hmm. in order to win the, the elections against Leffler and, and Purdue. <clears throat> so, you know, I think it, uh, it's not uh, it's not a sure thing, obviously, that uh, they will lose. Uh, but I think you're going to look at an election that is, is certainly in, in jeopardy. If that goes the wrong way, if they go to a 50-50 tie in the Senate with Harris, uh, if uh, Biden is seated, uh, I think we're looking at an America that we cannot even predict uh, within our worst manifestations as to what that will look like. So yeah. I hear people talking about the future and when this election, the midterms in the 2024, I, I think that's all just uh, that's that's nice. It helps people get through at this point. Uh, but I think with the things that may happen, including the legalization of perhaps a total of 30 million illegal aliens with a certainly a strong majority of those people voting Democrat and those people being positioned uh, significantly in existing red states. I don't know if we'll ever have a national election that will ever be won by a Republican uh, post this moment if they take total control of this country. Bob. Yeah, no, I think. Uh, I mean, I know that's that's pessimistic, but I think it's very reasonable. Well, I think it's a very fair assessment. So just pointing out the importance of what's happening in Georgia, but also pointing out the importance of what's happening with regard to the uh, getting through the process of confirming who really won this presidential election. And again, it just I think it's critical. All the information come out, first of all. Second of all, that it go to uh, a court of law, and I hope the Supreme Court in this whole thing is addressed. What amazes me is in Georgia is the power that uh, this unemployed former state senator, uh, Stacey Abrams, seems to have in this process. Pardon me? Yeah, I I was just just, uh, expressing my my amazement at what you're talking about. What's that? Well, Stacey Abrams says she's going to generate another 600,000 mail-in ballots. I mean, I I think that's what you were going through. Yes, exactly. I mean, how could could, uh, the state of Georgia have so much compromise? confidence in this person who ran for uh, governor, uh, failed, lost by 50,000 votes, and further refused to uh, concede the election. <laughs> by the way, the guy that won doesn't look that good either. He's uh, apparently, uh, he could have gotten kickbacks uh, from uh, Dominion Software, as I understand it. So we hope they'll investigate that as well. That, that seems pretty well confirmed at this point. So, you know, but, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Georgia, Bob. No, no one does, but I, but I do know we're we're going to look at once this uh, early voting starts on December fourteenth. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're going to look at about three weeks of pure hell down there in Georgia. So, uh, as to how it works out, um, I I'm amazed that they're still using, as far as I understand it, the same voting models that they use for the general election on November third. Right. Uh, those those models certainly are questionable, if not provably fraud fraudulent uh, in their in their design. Uh, so to have that uh, model stay in place, just I, I, I just don't understand how these things can happen in America, Bob. It's so true. Whether you know somehow, some way, this election process—it's clearly got to be run by the states. But uh, there has to be some boundaries on the, what they can, the decisions they can make with regard to how the voting is counted and how it's uh, certified and so forth, because it's totally in disarray. It's in disarray right now. Well, let me before we before we get through, let me just say a word about the uh, the Durham investigation, which uh, yeah. apparently has gone nowhere after eighteen months of investigation and uh, leading us down the uh, the path to the, to the Holy Land. Uh, it looks like, and as Tom Fitton, just uh, to watch Tom Fitton has said several weeks ago, uh, that this is a scam being being perpetrated on the on the, the conservative voters of America to give them a a false feeling of confidence that all of these things would be disclosed by the by the Durham investigation. Mm-hmm. That does not seem to be something that will happen. I will predict it won't happen. Uh, there's been obvious uh, circumstances of, of criminality as it pertains to the, the Trump transition process in 2016 and 17. Um, and for Durham to give put 18 months into this and come up blank, um, just it has a bad smell to it, Bob. Jim Jordan came out yesterday and said that something's going to be breaking soon. Of course, we've heard that so many times now. I'm beginning to lose hope myself. I think you know, your point is well taken. But Durham has such a good reputation. I can't imagine he would drop the ball. 
I, I can't imagine a lot of things. And so I, I've given up my, my imagination matters. So, um, I, I see it's sort of like a, someone's telling me all the foods that are going to go into a great recipe. You know, they're going to put this in that in and the other thing in sounds great, but they never cook the meal. Right. So what, what happens in, in America right now in terms of, of conservative uh, needs as it pertains to uh, the truth and, and accuracy is the meal never gets cooked. And so I keep waiting for one. Uh, there's a lot of the promises about that, but yep. it just never seems to happen. Yeah, just wait. It's going to be great, huh? Again, <laughs> Andy Derjapa. I'm usually the optimistic one, and I still am. I'm optimistic about this presidential election. Andy, a little bit more uh, pessimistic about the outcome. Uh, you know, in this case, Andy, I hope I'm right. I, I always hope you're right, Bob. <laughs> I never want to be right. <laughs> Andy Jaffa, again, I just appreciate uh, your commentary so much here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll do breakfast soon. Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. All right. Coming up, uh, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture and author of many books, his latest, uh, How Everything Happened, including us. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598 598- 3889, that's 598 3889, or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598 3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. Visit gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, uh, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston Space Architecture. Had a lot to do with our space program back in the day. He's also the author of many books. His latest, a terrific read, it's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure, Professor, and I love your columns. Uh, in Newsmax.com, uh, you'll find Professor uh, Bell's column on point. His latest, Biden Should Hope for a GOP Senate Georgia Win. <laughs> What's that all about, Professor? Well... I think most of us understand that uh, Georgia is uh, very crucial because the uh, we have a runoff there on January fifth, and a runoff election, and and it will determine pretty much the in a very significant way the future of the country because uh, if uh, the, if the Democrats have a fifty-fifty split in the Senate. Then the vice president, who presumably is Kamala Harris, would have the 
tie-breaking vote. And uh, that being the case, uh, uh, Chuck Schumer, who's the Senate Minority Leader and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, have uh, virtually promised, along with others, that if they gain the control of the Senate and the presidency, and of course the Congress, then in that case, they will go ahead and uh, stack the Supreme Court with two to four more justices so that they will be able to immediately do that. Uh, they don't have to wait for, you know, for a vacancy in the, in the court. And they will also, similarly, uh, with regard to the uh, Senate seats and, and so on, they would add Puerto Rico and Washington D.C. as new states, which would add to their, you know, their dominance in the Congress. And they would do much of this by uh, eliminating the filibuster rule, mm. which requires a sixty, a sixty vote. Um, um, Advantage, uh, so so they would be able to get their legislation passed immediately, and so with that, uh, there's I think quite a reality that the Republican Party would be pretty much uh, a thing of the past in terms of having uh, a chance to dominant again yeah and or to have a Senate you know a Republican Senate again so it's it's pretty pretty urgent and and uh, in my article I mentioned that uh, if uh, Joe Biden reports to be a unifier uh, a lot of the uh, appointments that he would be making in his executive would be very unappetizing to half the country, you know, you can imagine uh, the likelihood of Bernie Sanders being Secretary of Labor and, and Elizabeth Warren being Secretary of Treasury. And these are more than just remote possibilities. And, yeah. and other appointments, it would be very alienating for half the country. Certainly would. I mean, that picture that you just painted is certainly not a pretty one at all. And the things I worry about are, for example, uh, charter schools, education, 1619 project, and you could go on uh, immigration, 30 million uh, new immigrants coming into the country. And I'm not against immigration. I'm just saying it should happen legally, not illegally. So uh, the door opens again for a lot of things that can corrupt the future of our country and the rule of law. So what's going to save us, Professor? Well, I, I think it's it's you know it's the vote in Georgia, and uh, and, and it's that's pretty clear. And you know, there's a lot of controversy about uh, how fair the election process is, and and, uh, and a great deal of controversy regarding that. And when uh, you know President Trump came into office, he was being accused of being illegitimate from from day one. Uh, there will be, of course, uh, a lot of concern and accusations on the part of the, the Republicans on this side that uh, you know the the election doesn't look fair mm -hmm. uh, in very significant ways. You know, people question why, how could the polls and, and the voting have been so far off when it came to the congressional elections? You know where where the uh, Democrats just absolutely flamed out in terms of gaining any right. of the 20 seats they were predicting to get, and they may lose as many, more than a dozen congressional seats, and they're supposed to, we're supposed to lose the Senate. Well, that seems to be holding, of course, pending what happens in Georgia. So, and so there was this very strong showing on the part of Congress, and with Donald Trump being the presumptive leader of the party and, and when you see the turnouts and so on of the rallies, it, leads, it lends a lot of credence to that. Then you say, well, how in the world could someone who never, ever even campaigned, never seldom left their, their home, uh, be, the, be the winner? And, uh, and, of course, then it goes into the you know, questions of 
distributed fraud in different states, and oh. and, and and a lot of the fraud seems to be in the in the critical states, mm-hmm. the uh, the swing states. So that sort of suggests that they got special attention when it came to maybe uh, not so funny business, and so it's it's a uh, it's a dark time for the country. Indeed, it is, Professor. I mean, it, you know, clearly President Trump has uh, the visceral support of uh, the populace. Uh, Biden, he, you know, if he gave a speech today, he wouldn't get eleven people to come out and, and listen to what he has to say. It's you know, and that's an unfortunate thing. So, what that leads me to believe is this whole thing, the whole uh, power, is being hijacked by the political elite in the Democrat Party right now, and it's getting the support, quite frankly, of some uh, rhinos uh, as well. Well, you mentioned, you know, you know that, and I think you're correct, correct, a whole litany of concerns and it has to do with charter schools and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And there's a very like strong likelihood that a couple of candidates for secretary of education that are both, you know, very strong teachers union, uh, representatives. Yes. Teachers unions have been fighting charter schools because, you know, the, the COVID uh, thing where the charter schools have been uh, really given short shrift in terms of any public support, but they're very popular, particularly minority families that, that don't have good public school options and and, uh, and and so on. You can go down the list and it's like every, you know, every conservative's horror, you know, horror story. So you... So you see it, you know, what is really at risk, and it's virtually every category. And then you say, well, perhaps some of the, just as you're saying, the rhinos who who basically uh, have been uh, creating havoc within the Republican Party, same thing, you hope that the Democrats on these kind of key issues will split off and, and look at their futures, particularly the, the, the incumbents that are worried about losing their seats two years from now in 2022 and you say well maybe maybe sanity will intervene and, and so on but I think uh, a lot of people also believe that that uh, Joe Biden was it was really someone they felt was electable until they could get you know their real uh, candidate in place and that's more than just you know, theory because it, a, lot, a lot of them have said so yeah and uh, so, so one of the firewalls for Biden and one of his protections is that if you if you impeach him, you've got Kamala Harris as president. So it's not a, it's not a very happy face you can paint on this. No, uh, I guess the one one concern, one consideration is that there's a lot of dissension within the Democrat Party right now. AOC and her and and the squad trying to take it uh, way far left, as is Bernie Sanders. So. Right now, uh, they're hopefully they'll get all tied up in their underwear and not be able to have consensus about where they want to take the nation. That would be my hope. Any, oh, well, you know what? The president is going to win this election. I just feel strongly about that because of the overwhelming evidence of, of fraud that's been committed. So uh, maybe we should end with that. What do you think, Professor? Well, that's uh, you never cheer for fraud uh, winning anything and. Certainly not presidential elections, and uh, uh, it's it's a time where perhaps if there's good news, it's there's, there seems like a grand awakening in the part of the country that I think what we're really dealing with is is is, is really Marxist socialist movement, and uh, and I think half the country is really really awakening to that and terrified of it, and yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that will uh, it maybe. A wake-up call was necessary, but we certainly didn't need this one. No, sir. Again, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston, author of many books, great books on climate change. His latest is really fascinating. It goes back 13 billion years up to the present day. It's called How Everything Happened, Including Us. Larry, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And I always enjoy it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Professor. Okay, well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Appreciate your comments uh, that you're sending me. So you can send them at bobharden at hotmail.com. If you want to get on the list, distribution list for the newsletter I send out every day, it's, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. 
Tomorrow we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, will be with us as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com. <laughs>